Thanks, Mark, for reminding, uh, reminding us of Psalm 119. Uh, it reminds me of uh, one of my memory verses, uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. <clears throat> Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Uh, and uh, there is so much in Psalm 119 about the law of God or the, the statutes of God, which is all different ways of saying the word of God. So uh, that's my prayer, that God will open our eyes, that uh, we will behold wonderful things in his word. Well, um, I wasn't here last, uh, last Sunday. Jackie and I were away on holidays, but, uh, so I didn't hear Pete's sermon, but... Uh, 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 Pete and I had a bit of a chat a couple of days ago about the the series that we're going through at the moment on uh, Genesis and uh, what I'd be preaching on this time. And Pete and I independently came to uh, uh, there are many threads going through the book of through the whole Bible, uh, all of which are wonderfully beautifully interwoven. Uh, but one of those threads is the fact of uh, God making people wait. God making, in this case, uh, Abraham and Sarah wait. And that's something that I want to focus on in this talk this morning. And so uh, last week you saw one of the slides of uh, Pete, which looked like this. Uh, um, God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have children, they would have descendants, and through their descendants, all the nations in the earth would be blessed. A Abraham and Sarah uh, should have just patiently waited on God, but they found the waiting just went on for too long, and they thought, we're going to shortcut this. And so they said, okay, here's an idea. Uh, let's uh, take on Hagar as the second wife. Uh, let's uh, have a child by Hagar, and that will solve all of our problems. But, of course, it didn't. And that's where uh, we were reminded that uh, taking our own shortcuts are not the way to achieve God's purposes. Another example, uh, two generations later, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God promised that Jacob would be the one that would be blessed. But Jacob couldn't wait for God to do that blessing, so he stole his older brother's birthright. So he stole the blessings of being the firstborn. He wanted to do it his own way. He couldn't wait for God. But before we judge Abraham too harshly, or Jacob for that matter, uh, I want us to have a look at it from Abraham's perspective. I want us to walk in his shoes for a while. Uh, it's been, uh, uh, in this case, it's been, I've got a little timeline, that blue line across the top there uh, is a timeline of Abraham's life. Uh, Abraham died at the age of 175. In Genesis chapter 12, we are... Uh, at the Abraham is at the age of 75. So it's been uh, now 10 years since God made this big promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We read in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Uh, 
So uh, you can see that 75 there on the blue timeline at the top there. Now, some years later, God renews his promise to Abraham, and that is in Genesis chapter 15, where we see Abraham is thinking and he's saying, uh, God still hasn't given me the children that he promised. But God reassures, reassures Abram, he says, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then in chapter 16, we looked, uh, that we looked at uh, with uh, Pete last week, we find that Abraham has been living in Canaan for 10 years. So by this stage, he's 85 years old and still no promised descendants. Abraham is getting sick of waiting. So he takes things into his own hands and he takes the shortcut that Pete described last Sunday. And so we read in chapter 16, verse 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Moving on to chapter 17, we find out that Abraham is now 99 years old. So at this point, Abraham has been waiting 24 years. Sarah is 90 years old and still doesn't have any children. And God says, Hagar's son Ishmael is not going to be the one through whom God will bless the nations. God also says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And at this point, you know what? Abraham is pretty close to losing it. So we read that Abraham fell face down and he laughed. And he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Notice that Abraham didn't fall down face down and worship as we sometimes read about other people in the Bible doing. He fell face down and laughed. He was literally rolling on the floor laughing. And he says to himself, or you could read that uh, to mean he kind of mutters under his breath because he doesn't want God to hear it. Really? Like, I'm 100 years old? Sarah's 90 years old? Are we really going to have a son? You, know, you can almost hear Abraham saying, God, you've got to be joking. And, and so Abraham comes up with a much better idea, a much more practical idea. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Well, what about Ishmael? Abraham is thinking something like this. God, you promised to make me into a great nation 24 years ago. Uh, I waited 10 years and you didn't give Sarah any children. Uh, so Sarah and I, we felt we had to do something. So we had a surrogate child through Hagar. Ishmael, he's 13 years old. He's my own flesh and blood. God, why don't you just bless what we've already done? That's the logical way. That's the easiest way. It's, it's a no-brainer, really. Why not just fulfil your promises through Ishmael instead of trying to achieve the impossible through Sarah and me? 
Now, before we see how God responds to that, uh, I want us to have a quick look at the first half of chapter 18. Um, not just because Mike read chapter 18 for us, we're, we're, doing, we're covering all of chapter 17 and the first half of chapter 18, but because chapter 18 also gives us some insights into Sarah's thinking on this situation. And some weird things also happen in uh, the first 15 verses of chapter 18. So we read in Genesis 18 verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham while he was sitting at the door to his tent. Well, was it the Lord or was it three men? Because in the passage that Mike read to us, uh, it was three men. But it was also the Lord. Uh, we don't have... The simple answer is that it was God appearing to Abraham in the form of three men. So he took on the form of... You could, you, you could say he morphed into three human beings. And the theologians use the word um, um, an anthropomorphism. So God morphing into uh, the shape of the form of a human being. So it was, in fact, God who was speaking to Abraham. That's all we need to say about that. But the essence of this story is that God, in the form of these three visitors, says to Abraham, where is your wife Sarah? Oh, they're in the tent. And then one of them says, I will surely return to you about this time of year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah's in the tent. And she laughs to herself and she thinks, this is not going to happen. Well, it's already been 24 years and Sarah's thinking, like, now I'm 90. This isn't going to happen. But uh, she tries to hide it, so she laughs to herself. She tries to muffle her laugh. And so we have Sarah rolling on the floor in the tent laughing. Genesis 18, 13 to 15, the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I, I, I wasn't laughing, honest, I wasn't laughing. But God says, yes, you were laughing, you did laugh. So as far as Abraham and Sarah were concerned, they'd been waiting too long and doubt had set in regarding God's promise. God's promise had been repeated several times, chapter 12, chapter 15, uh, over the past 24 years, and they felt that they'd been waiting too long and they were just way too old. Why, why does God so often make his people wait so long? I don't know about you, but I can totally identify with Abraham and Sarah. I became a Christian in 1977 when I was 21 years old. And, and within 12 months of becoming a Christian, I was convinced that I knew what God wanted me to do. God wanted me to go into ministry in the church. Uh, I had also studied Indonesian in high school uh, and I had a very strong sense of being called to teach Indonesian people in Indonesia about Jesus Christ. So within 12, 12 months after becoming a Christian, I went off to SNBC, I went to Bible college, I started training to go into the ministry. I had to wait 33 years before I 
was able to enter full-time church ministry. And that's when I disappeared from this church for 12 years. That's where I was, I was a minister in the Presbyterian Church. I had to wait more than 40 years before I could start ministering to people in Indonesia. And that wasn't due to any lack of wanting. It wasn't due to any, any lack of trying. Why does God make us wait so long for what we are convinced is the right thing that he wants us to do? And that's not an easy question to answer. And that's not the main message of this story about Abraham and Sarah. But if we look at God's response, I think we can get a clearer picture that helps us make more sense, not just of our own lives, but of God's overall plan for his people as a whole. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter 17. Oops, I've missed something somewhere there. Uh, All right, there's a a slide missing. Okay. Uh, That's okay. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 17. When Abraham is 99 years old, God says three things to Abraham. And this is the slide that, that I can't find at the moment. He says... I'm going to change, this is a summary of Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to change Sarai's name to Sarah. Uh, And I want every male in your household to be circumcised. Oh, sorry, I have got the right slide, yeah. Uh, These descendants that I've promised are going to come through Sarah, not through Hagar. And these three statements are basically three different ways of saying the same thing. I'm going to do this my way, according to my timetable, not your timetable, Abraham. You and Sarah are going to become parents, not you and Hagar. Every male descendant is going to be circumcised. uh, And I think that the general consensus that the reason God chose circumcision is as a uh, reminder to God's people that through his descendants, through Abraham's descendants, and especially through a male descendant of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God doesn't say how long that will take. He doesn't say who that male descendant will be. But it's this promise of a male descendant. That's the message of Genesis chapter 17. Why does God insist on waiting until Abraham and Sarah are way too old to have children? He doesn't say, but I think it's because God wants to make it very clear that this is his doing, not Abraham and Sarah's doing. This is an act of God. God chooses the humanly impossible way of doing things so that there is no way humans can ever think they did it in their own strength. God chooses the least likely people to achieve his purposes because God wants people to give him the credit and give him the glory for rescuing us. And that should be a great comfort to the great 
majority of us. The fact that God doesn't choose the best person for the job. He, in fact, often chooses the most unlikely person for the job. People like you and me and Abraham and Sarah. God deliberately chose an elderly couple who couldn't have children to be the spiritual ancestors of countless millions of people who would eventually be uh, brought back into a right relationship with God. And he keeps on choosing the most unlikely people throughout the generations to become the ancestral line through which Jesus the Saviour would come. He doesn't choose the greatest kings. He chooses, when he does choose kings, he chooses for the most part kings who are failures. He doesn't choose the firstborn, the one who has the inheritance rights. He chooses the, he chooses um, um, Jacob and not Esau, the oldest. He chooses David to be the king, the youngest of seven, not the oldest of seven. He chooses the most unlikely people to be the ones through whom he will be the blessing throughout the generations until eventually we come to Christ. He chooses those uh, who can't have children and he gives them children. He chooses those who don't have the birthright and he gives them priority. He chooses those who are considered unworthy in society. And he gives them priority over those who are considered most worthy. He doesn't choose the best people to do his work. He chooses us. Why did God so often do that? Why does he do that? I think it's because God wants to get all the praise and all the glory for himself. And I say that as one who wants to give all the praise and all the glory to God. I don't say that with any sense of, wow, I'm missing out here. Because there's also a wonderful blessing in this for us. For those of us who are the most unlikely people in the eyes of society, when God chooses you, he gets the glory, but you don't miss out. You get the joy of being used by God for his glory. You get the joy of being restored into a right relationship with God. God specialises, I think, in using people who might be considered less useful or less worthy or less able to contribute to society. Those who can't have children or those who never married or those who had, have a same-sex attraction or those who didn't do so well at school or those who didn't get the best job or those who just plain struggle day by day to get through life. If you're one of those, you're the kind of person that God uses to glorify himself. But you might answer, well, yeah, okay, but I don't have the sort of faith that Abraham had. Well, actually, you know what? Abraham's faith wasn't really all that great. Uh, in Genesis 15, we, believe, we read that uh, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, was Abraham's belief uh, steadfast and unwavering? 
Not at all. He believed uh, God. He believed God that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He got that right, and he believed that, and was on the basis of that that God credited him with righteousness. He didn't have his own righteousness. God credited it to him. He believed that. He got that right. But his faith wavered in lots of other ways as well. God didn't choose Abraham because Abraham was the perfect choice. He was anything but. And for the same reason, God didn't choose you. He didn't choose me because we were the perfect choice. We are anything but the perfect choice. God chose you and he chose me in order that he might get the glory for what he does through us. I have a little Bible college over in Indonesia. I waited 40 years for it to happen. Uh, I'm a really ordinary person. Those who make it happen are really ordinary people. Those who support it and enable it to happen financially are really ordinary people. But God does amazing things through that little Bible college in Indonesia. You may not know what God is doing through you. You may not see it, but Never despair about the fact that you are a really ordinary person because God delights to use you because by using you, he brings glory to himself. Your imperfect efforts to be obedient to God highlight the perfections of God. They highlight the perfections of Jesus who perfectly obeys on your behalf. In John chapter 12, verse 23, and I don't have a slide for this, Jesus says, uh, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was talking about his death on the cross. And he says it again in John chapter 17, in uh, uh, the last from about John chapter 12 right through to almost the very end, are all one night, the night before he was crucified. John 17 verse 1 is is a long uh, time, uh, many chapters where in in, in the Gospel of John, where it's the night before Jesus is crucified, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that your son may glorify you. How do you feel about that? Jesus gets glorified by dying on the cross, by doing what you were not able to do, by perfectly obeying God. Jesus gets the glory. God the Father gets the glory. But you know what? You don't actually lose anything. You get saved from your sins. You get eternal life. And what do you do as a result? You say, praise God, hallelujah. What are you doing? You're giving God the glory. But you are getting salvation. God chose you for the same reason he chose Abraham. It was humanly impossible for Abraham to do what God wanted. But Abraham still got the blessing and God got the glory. And in just the same way, it's humanly impossible for you and me to do what God wants. So God does it for us. God does it through us. God does it in spite of us. 
Jesus does it for you and he gets the glory and you get the blessing. You get the salvation. You get the joy. And what do you do when you experience that joy? You give God all the honour and glory and praise. That's what we do when we sing these songs. We're giving glory to God for our salvation. And that is exactly what God wants us to do because of what he has done through us and for us. I want to close to you by reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And I only added this at the very end uh, because I, uh, uh, I only thought of it just before this sermon, but it is so relevant. Um, so I don't have a slide on it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Or let us say, let us glorify God. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our Father, thank you for using us. Father God, glorify yourselves in our lives and give us hearts that want to give you the glory because of what you have done for us in the cross of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.